Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready. Rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy. Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary. From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy. I was bugging out all the crazy things he showed me. Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies. Always a good time vibing with the fire tribe. Hey, so wake up, wake up, get it cracking. Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion. Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies. Other dimensions, plenty ancient history. Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up. We about to get into it. I know you can't get enough at home, at work. It don't matter. Turn it up. Rising from the ashes. You know what's up. Hey. Uh, rising from the ashes. Yo, what's happening, my fire tribe? Wake. Wake. Oh. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into today's show. We are rising from the ashes and we as the fire tribe will rise awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us we can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding if you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello, everybody. Yes, please, please, please do. Also, follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at Rising. to rising from the ashes i'm danu naki dan and i am the homie romi hello <laughs> what's good homie oh just straight chilling my brother what's happening with you you excited absolutely you got that new mic and you don't have to hold the microphone in your hand you can just yeah. wander around wherever you want just <laughs> roaming roaming everywhere roman <laughs> It's absolutely great. Um, I drank um, some rosemary tea, some coriander and fennel tea, and then oh. a bunch of lemon water, and then some echinacea situation. And now I'm just like straight buzzing. I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good. So, <laughs> you going on a cleanse or what? No, I'm no, I'm just living my life daily, baby. I'm a daily. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, today in the house, we got Chance, Chance. Darton from the Interverse podcast. Chance, how you doing? Hey, guys, I'm excited as you are, and I need you to come be my tea master. If I could just have those things on deck, I would totally be about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's a $2,800 a month minimum. Okay. okay. But I will choke to your house you three to, to four times me, a right? day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll cook you meals daily. Tea master. Okay. We'll talk about this after, off the air. Yes. I tell people that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, it's a... You owe me $20, but I only accept $100 bills. And I don't carry change, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oldest trick in the book. I know, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Chance Garten. Sir Chance. Give us a little bit of uh, history. What's your origin story? Because you seem oh, to be man. so eclectic in everything. It's so hard <laughs> to figure out where to even start with you, my friend. You have so much uh, vast knowledge of so many different complexities. And uh, what? how did you get into podcasting yourself? And like, did a spiritual path send you in that direction? Or what was it that made you wanted to start doing podcasts? Yeah, man, that's a really big question. <laughs> I don't even know where the origin story would begin. But there is. From when you were a tiny baby. There is the fun like dictionary definition set of the word chance because I have the fun of my name being a word. <laughs> and my favorite definition in the Diction of Aries is the absence of concept. So that along with the fact that I am kind of a jump from one thing to another generalist type of guy, I feel like the eclectic side of what I do is what keeps it interesting and exciting to me. Like I wouldn't want to be I mean, God love them, people out there that do it, but I wouldn't want to be like the David Weiss where my only topic was one thing, yes. like flat earth every time, flat earth. Like I'm into all the topics and yeah. maybe maybe I don't have as deep of an understanding about some things, but when you look at the big picture, instead of just focusing on one path, you tend to see how all of the pieces connect in a larger puzzle and everything is about everything and that's where it gets interesting is where you learn one thing and it weaves into everything else as you're getting into it. So origin story though, uh, I was like a normie going down the pathway of college and then mm. didn't know what I want to do after college. I basically just graduated to make mom and dad feel satisfied that I was trying in life, <laughs> but I got a degree in creative writing and film studies but on like the mm. analytical side not Excellent. on the creating side so yeah. that gave me a symbolic literacy education so turned out the university wasn't a total waste of money since symbolic literacy is the way that we decode everything in the synchromistic streams that the internet has provided us you have so you, I, you took extensive courses in this uh in in, in symbolic literacy just studying literature and film and the visual language of film and learning different lenses to analyze something from that all was part of the English oh. major education oh, and beautiful cr creative writing. Of course, like <laughs> when you're doing creative writing, you're trying to think of how to put metaphor into your story and show things instead of just tell things and let the reader pick up on, fun nuggets that you drop without just 
beating them over the head with exposition or whatever. And then when you start, you like pivot over and get interested in spirituality or psychology, maybe you start thinking about like, whoa, what does my dream mean? And you have some intense dream that seems symbolic. Well, you can apply that same type of thinking to life. And that's where things get weird and you get into the woo. <laughs> and so I've been on like the woo way for a while. Shell. <laughs> yeah, like I mean woo in two senses. <laughs> uh, like what cracked the shell for that was probably some experimentation in my early mid-20s with psychedelics and using cannabis and getting into the arts and music scenes of the alternative, like festivals smaller scale not like you know coachella or something mm -hmm. but <laughs> seeing other people out in the world that were recklessly following their soul's passion whether it was being a painter or a music producer stuff like that i was like wow okay so you can live this way and getting in conversations with heady people like that or just friends and thinking wow the talk that we just had was so good i bet other people would benefit from that and that was what led me into wanting to start recording conversations. And when I got into podcasting back at the end of, it's like December, 2015. So we're in Sagittarius right now. Wow. The podcast yeah. universe is a Sagittarius if you charted its origin story. <laughs> so <laughs> coming back around to the, wow, like six years in it. But the first couple of years were really exploratory and maybe like, Obviously, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had no education on how to produce audio content. But I listened to a bunch of shows that inspired the shit out of me. So that was like I had the ear of a connoisseur and knew what I would like to hear in a conversation. So I just followed that and tried to make the type of conversations that I would want to stumble across and hear and not just put something out that I wouldn't listen to myself because I already know the stuff or it's uh, boring or whatever the case may be. So. I've always really been doing it for me and pursuing my own interest and research lines with this show. Maybe a few exceptions where I decide I want to cover a topic or have a guest on that maybe is not the freshest thing for me, but it would fit in the larger constellation of ideas that I'm bringing to the audience. So I kind of go with the flow on that. And, you know, you'll still be surprised because everybody knows something that nobody else knows or that only they can articulate the way that they can. So even if it's a subject that I wasn't super jazzed about it. turns out the show usually is something that I'm excited about every week. And I say, usually it's always <laughs> like whenever there's something about to happen that doesn't really fit. Like it's not a hell yes to me with the guests. Oftentimes uh, like God intervenes and <laughs> like something crazy happens and we don't end up recording it. And then I just go on about my life and well, leave it open ended so and it doesn't happen. So it's like I've been guided to a lot of the guests and the connections I've made as well. And I do think that that was the big secret that I eventually came across whenever I was on the initial journey of how do you turn your passion and your creative flow state into a livelihood and a vocation that gets you out of, you know, working in a cubicle or something yeah. was that if you're doing the right thing, unseen forces come to your aid always. But whenever you're doing what's not right or best for you, you will stub your toe on every chair, on every couch corner. <laughs> like it'll just be nonstop. And that's like how you can tell flow state is even in the simple things like, are you getting hurt randomly? Or are you smoothly like a butterfly just fluttering through your life and without even a 
applying too much pressure or effort, things are happening. And this, you know, it's a difficult conceptually thing to figure out because we're used to a more materialistic or non-energetic based view of life and reality. But you can start to think of your life that way and the smoothness of your transitions, like being the measure as to whether or not you were doing it correctly. May I interject and ask a question on an opinion about something that you stated just now? Yeah, I think that I pretty much wrapped up the origin story. So let's just go anywhere. <laughs> oh, well, I, you can continue after, but I, I just, because we're on the topic and like my, you know, rabbit stoner brain sometimes will like forget something in a moment. So I just want to see um, what you guys think of this, like what you said about there being flow state and it being like an, an, a, a beautiful continuance of something, uh, you know, when it's supposed to happen and it happens smoothly. And then there being like hard, rigid corners about things that aren't supposed to happen. Yeah, what about, um, and I'm asking this very uh, honestly and, and because I'm curious about your guys' opinion. What about the things that, that are almost like signs that you need to, because there are certain things when you need to work, right? Like things that should allow certain amount of energy and effort to push past like a, a brush barrier. But then there are certain things where it's just like, like, oh, no, stop right there. Like that was, that was a legitimate sign to this is not healthy or this is toxic for you. That's a really great nuance to bring to it. And I did glaze past that because really there's such a thing as effort. My catchphrase that maybe I'll put on a t-shirt someday is uh, the <laughs> obstacle is the course. The obstacles are the course. You know, if you're running a 200 meter dash, you're not supposed to run away from or around the barriers. You're supposed to jump over them. So there's definitely a time where you know that you need to put effort forth on something and it may be a challenge in the sense that you have to try, but that can still go smoothly in the sense that you're not like, you don't need to grind in a sense. Like you don't need to wear yourself down to, to the point of ill health or exhaustion just to complete the hurdle or the obstacle. And so work smarter, not harder, I guess is like a, a yeah. common cliche there. But the difference is a scientific perspective in your own life stream that you've got to be able to develop where, you know, generally those you're getting in a car wreck or your house burning down or things like that, that come out of the blue. Maybe some of that was like also an obstacle that was being presented to you to take you to another level. So none of the obstacles or the things that are challenging, whether or not they come in a jarring or abrupt way, or it is a challenge that you choose for yourself, like exercise or reading a book those things are going to be there for a reason. There's none of it that wasn't supposed to happen. It's just that when we get out of touch with our relationship to the inner archetypes, sometimes one of those archetypes will just have to attack from the external world vantage point to get your attention and say, hey, look at this, look at this aspect of yourself. And all of it is in service to the imperial self or the higher total whole self. Beautiful. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> so they're all very important. There is no not importance. There is no not happenings and goodnesses in the moments of the existence. <laughs> right. It seems like it's all there for our enjoyment or enlightenment or I guess both. <clears throat> well, I would like to this say. This is coming from someone uh, that has had a lucky life, though. I've had a pretty easy life. So maybe I just. You have a mission. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing 
chance that you might not even be aware of, man, is uh, you've helped myself on my path and this show on its path because I reached out to you when we first started this show to get Yake Hagstrom's contact information. And granted, it took a couple of weeks or so, but you got back to me and hooked me up, <laughs> Sorry with, about his, that. <laughs> hooked me up with his uh, email and contact, and I was able to get a hold of him and have him on our show over here and uh, talk to him about Box Saga. And now him, myself, and Andy Rouse, who we also had on the show, have started a new podcast called Roots of Creation, where we're talking about Box Saga all the time and interviewing people close to the saga. So you sent us onto that path. So not even knowing it. And uh, so thank you for that. And, uh, you know, uh, I've listened to your show several times, lots of times. And uh, some of the things that you get into are kind of like biofield tuning. Uh, is that something that you practice yourself? Um, I yeah. think I've heard you talk about that. And then you also do a lot of stuff with like Oracle cards and and stuff like this. And I was wondering kind of what other stuff do you like kind of have in your re- repertoire, like what types of things do you do in uh, your individual life uh, to help yourself grow spiritually and stuff like that? Those are great things to get into. First of all, I got to say shout out to Yake. He's a serious homie. Love that guy. Yeah. So cool. He's so really excited to hear you guys are doing that box show. I think that there's definitely something worth investigating further there. And on the subject of sound healing, I'm just calling it sound healing, although you could call it biofield tuning. I don't know okay. if that's like copyrighted or trademarked, but the lady I learned it from, Eileen Dame McCusick, she's a full on super genius of the electric body. And she's like a, I don't know what her degree level is, but she has a degree in integrative medicine. So she generally understands the functions of the body and all the organs and how things connect. And she was a massage therapist who got into using tuning forks during her massage therapy, which eventually people just started asking her to use just the tuning forks. And that led her on a huge research mission to find out exactly why it was effective. And she kept practicing it. And she developed a hypothesis, if you will, of the biofield anatomy. I'm calling it a hypothesis, even though for me, subjectively, I've proven it to be accurate because it's still not something that can be fully measured or compartmentalized by a left-brained analytical modality. And so we can get into that maybe a little more, The uh, yes, like how please. much of that is a concrete thing, how much of that is imagination or placebo or some sort of mental scaffolding that allows us to tap into psychic intuition. But Biofield tuning, that's what she ended up calling her practice after she developed the anatomy of the biofield, which is your aura space, the six-ish feet off the body to the left and the right. And the anatomy of this is in regards to what types of emotional energies, traumatic experiences, or blocked, uh, just blocked up electricity in simple terms, or plasma even, is where. Where does it go? Because whenever we fail to integrate something 
we will push it off of the body and it'll hang out around us in our field. And that's a way of avoiding sensing it or feeling it or being aware of it. Yeah. Does that, does that have to do with um, specific like uh, blockages at, at like what energy points on your body that might be blocked more than others or what, what would cause uh, that, that to happen? Yeah, so super good question. <laughs> Say like maybe you had a mom that told you all the time when you were a little kid, oh, you can't do that. That's dangerous or you, you're not smart enough to do that or just in some way was like contrarian and you in, internalized this voice that said that you weren't powerful enough to do something. Well, there would be a specific part of your biofield that corresponded to that type of mentality. And then depending on how close it is to the body, whether it's like four feet off the body or two feet off the body, like the rings of a tree, that actually corresponds to the age that you were when that type of hmm. blockage occurred. Or maybe it was a more severe trauma, like your parents split up or something happened to your dad. And all of that is in the field. And even people that have, have like integrated most of their hardship, pain or grief they still probably will have echoes out in the field in some of those spots. I'm not saying that that means that they're like broken. It's just common that we carry wounds with us and our wounds also give us a capacity for compassion and the ability to further grow and expand ourselves by becoming aware. However, the real serious cases that I've experienced with doing the tuning sessions, which I do remotely, Maybe I, hopefully I'm explaining this in a good order. <laughs> I do these remotely generally with people, which is a whole nother interesting side yeah. tangent we could get into. Why, how does it work <laughs> when they're in another country? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's a great question. <laughs> but the situation that I often uh, like run into is that some one of the centers, like you can conceptualize the chakras in the biofield anatomy as being an accurate delineation of energy centers and the uh, chakras can sometimes because of a particular blocked up emotion or something that we're not facing can actually like swell up and maybe the person is like constantly projecting into fear of the future and thinking about stuff they don't like about their past and it's keeping them from being able to imagine or visualize any life other than the old version of themselves that they are not happy about and the things they're afraid will happen in the future. So that could actually correspond to like a swelling in the third eye chakra where that one actually is bigger in the biofield than the rest of the uh, chakra centers. And it could like bottleneck and cause lower energy centers to not receive the, cause there's cosmic energy coming from above and earth energy from below and they meet in the middle in us. And the bottom is supposed to rise all the way to the top. And the top part is supposed to go all the way down to the bottom in this toroid, right? Yeah. So if you get one of these blockages, sometimes it can be a bi-directional or one-directional blockage. And it's, it varies from person to person sometimes. But uh, I measure this with dowsing rods. And check out, this is my own addition to the process, actually, not one that Eileen describes. But before we start a session just so I don't have to sit and sit there and work on them for two to three hours to cover every part of the field. And, uh, cause that would, you know, that'd be more costly 
for them and it'd take a big chunk out of both of our days. But like if someone wanted a session like that, we could arrange it. But I generally will target one or two specific areas that the body is telling me that it needs attention in by using the dowsing rod. So I can tell if your root chakra is weaker than the rest or your heart chakra is overexpanded because you have a lot of unprocessed grief or you're in depression. And so there's a lot of different ways it can manifest. I'm like learning all the time as I go, but the simple truth of the process is that by bringing coherent sound vibration into the field and sweeping across the field from the left to the inner and from the right to the inner, you can sort of like click and pick up and drag these distorted pockets back to the core where they can reintegrate into the energy system where they came from. And then that circulates and recycles back to your total energy. And the overall goal is that instead of you being at like 85% or 90%, that we get you closer to 100% in terms of how much of you as a resource you have access to. And it will lead to all kinds of interesting external world ramifications. Like I have had people who I specifically was able to tell them about dynamics they had with their mother without knowing things about them because of what I picked up and heard in the field. And then after the session, they'll email me and say, my mom just called me for the first time in six months and told me she loved me and she was sorry for this or that. (laughs) Like, So it's a inner outer world reflect each other and doing this work on the inner world can also lead to outer world changes. When you, when you said that things that you heard in the field, like what, what types of things are you hearing? Are you just hearing frequencies or are you, are you hearing feeling voices or, or what's, what's going on there? <laughs> A lot of things can happen oddly enough. Really? But yeah. So sometimes I think the most common thing that I'll run into is that I'll hit a pocket where the fork just runs out way faster. So you would normally mm. strike the fork at a certain, like I've hit forks all the time. So I have kind of, I know kind of how long it's going to ring out from a strike and maybe I'll hit a pocket where it just runs out really quick. And then I'll know mm. that there's something, I call it thirsty right there. Something that's absorbing and slurping that up. And then there might be other methods I will incorporate to move that if it's just not resolving from me playing at the tone directly in that spot a few more times. Like maybe I'll ask them to say an affirmation that pertains to whatever it is that I'm running into. Like I accept the feeling of pleasure in my body or something like that, because Mm -hmm. that's a big one when the lower centers are jacked up that you reject all the feeling of your body and you don't feel pleasure either because you're trying to numb out pain. So you also numb out pleasure, just like people do with pharmaceuticals. Mm, and other so things that can happen in there would be like in more extreme cases I, i've hit pockets where all of a sudden i forget what i'm doing or like i almost fall asleep on my feet <laughs> like i lose consciousness a bit and that's how i know that oh this is a big one maybe even to the level of like it's taken on uh an identity and that's more rare but there are like entity involvements occasionally in That's this. I was going to ask that. Is that so? Is there, do you, do, do you think that there's potential of entity involved? Like you, like you literally just said entity involvement. 
like where there will be an energy coming in completely taking over somebody else's energy centers or, or field? Well, that's an interesting question. And I like to look at it from a yes and uh-huh. n- no, but like improv <laughs> mentality. <laughs> that's how I'm trying to treat everything lately because it's just, it fit, it flows better. It fits better. There's more For than sure. one way to explain it. And the possibility could be that they're, compartmentalized energy that's stuck and constricted in a walled off state because that's light and source and it's the energy of their self or their soul that's blocked off it's also consciousness the way that the energy animating their nor the rest of their body is conscious and lets them be conscious of their fingertips and their shoulders all that so in a compartmentalized state where it's walled off and it's been shoved into a closet metaphorically that energy is still the same light and source but it has become stagnant because it's out of flow and as a consciousness then it becomes demonic because it's separate from its source and that's the definition of anything demonic is mm. divided daimon to right uh so that is one possibility it could also be that energetic vampirism has been done to the individual where there's like some bad electricity injected into them. And it functionally works the same way, whether, whether this fragmented shard of spirit or electricity, that's dirty electricity, if you will, got in there from the outside or it's their own junk that they just left left to rot. It's functionally the same. And so I don't really have to try to figure that out when I'm working with people. I'm not there to like look for entities per se, but as a hypothetical, it's really interesting to me. And I do think that there are life forms that are energetic and non-physical that can influence and interact with humanity and do and always have. So definitely not ruling that out. But when it comes to the process, it's just not something I've ever had to deal with in a major way. Um, but there's also the possibility of talking to ancestors, having them show up through the field too, because we're like Russian dolls nested toroidal fields within fields and actually further out, this is hypothetical as well, but further out beyond the shell of your aura from both sides, left and right, there's an ancestral river that connects you back to your matrilineal and patrilineal sides. Wow. That's, uh, that was going to lead me into kind of like a, like a question about the layers of consciousness that exist either within the field and then outwards to what sounds like a, would be the collective consciousness. Um, and then like, I don't know, uh, you know, the, if you vibe with the Newtonian type of like, you know, thermodynamics, situation where it's like energy can't be created nor destroyed but maybe it can be manipulated within the collective consciousness to kind of be that entity involvement to use as like psychic attacks or a a, a collective at, uh, attack and i don't mean to keep bringing up attacks but i'm just you know i want to let people know that there if you know that there are ways if you do feel a certain way that you know maybe you can take a hold of being able to you know guard yourself and and help yourself from outside forces and harm and be able to resonate within your own energy to be as powerful as you can and and protect yourself. 
Right. And that maybe even can be something that we get into more deeply as an answer to the question of like, what are your own spiritual practices? You asked me about that. And I've just been going on for like 15 minutes about biofield tuning. No, 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 that's great. That's great. Because we did want to talk to you about biofield tuning because it's something that I'm not, I've heard of before. And it seems very interesting to me. And we've been doing a lot of stuff with Tartaria. So we've been doing a lot of stuff with sound, Tartaria and, sound resonance and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's so I had a feeling we talk about it because of that. <laughs> so it's a, we're leading, we're kind of grooming it up. We're leading there. Uh, what was interesting is you were talking about the ancestral energies to the left and to the right, hypothetically. But I guess my question would be like, do you think like, ancestral trauma can also carry over into your auric field? Yeah, hundred percent. I've definitely run into that actually. Wow, man, that's so fascinating. And then the other question. So you asked like how I sometimes how things come across when I'm sweeping the forks through the field. And like one of the possibilities you threw out there was like, do you hear a voice? And not usually, but every once in a while, There will be like a clear thought that will just bing right into my head. And when I first started doing it, I really doubted myself. And I was like, I have no reason to know this. And so I would just kind of like take note of it. And then I'd ask them about it later. And every time, whatever it was that was popping into my head would have some degree of verifiable accuracy. So the process is really helping me tap into like how psychic abilities work generally, which is interesting because it requires being able to differentiate your own like mental chatter (laughs) with something that's coming in from the outside like you were talking about (laughs) outside not an attack though actually just like an email and Um, like an example would be one time i felt a strong indication or like a strong message popping into my head that the client's grandmother or a person on a female on the mother's side i could be getting a detail wrong maybe it was father's side regardless there was a clear message popping up of i had parasites when i had my children and i passed parasites to my entire family and i need you to tell this client that he should do a parasite cleanse immediately and that i'm sorry that I pass this to everyone in the family and it's the reason for your <laughs> digestion problems. It's the reason wow. for like being overweight. It's uh cause all the, this havoc with the person's health and this person, if they're listening though, I'm talking about them, but while their thing still was that they had recently had uh, a finger get removed in a work accident. And the finger was one that pertained to, the intestines so there was like all kinds of like external world clue was hitting this guy in the form of actually because i'm talking about the chinese medicine meridian system there's Mm -hmm. a meridian straight from the index finger through to the intestines and so the fact that he had actually suffered a loss of a finger that's connected to that meridian Mm -hmm. proves all the more that there was distress in that region of the body and the organs, which did also did correspond to the thing that this voice popping into my head said. And when I asked him about, or when I told him about this, 
he said his grandmother was at that moment on her deathbed unconscious and would die any day wow. and had been unconscious for a while. So this was like, to me, it seemed as if there was some sort of unfinished business being attempted to be solved by this, uh, technically an ancestor, but still a living ancestor. Right. But there's been cases of things popping up like ancestor trauma in the form of behavior patterns and mindsets that pass from generation to generation. And so whenever we do go through a process like this of finding the distortion in our aura, healing it, and then embracing the different mindset that is required to not just put your energy back into the old configuration. That is where like the work comes in for the person that they're actually healing themselves. All I actually do is show their body and their electricity where it's not talking to itself and reconnect that communication. Mm -hmm. And then through me, I might, and through that process of noticing where it wasn't talking, that gives me clues to give them perspective on what that's been doing in their life and to their personality. But yeah. then it becomes up to them to actually stick to the change and hold the change and not go back to the old way because the mind is so powerful. It can just put your electrical field exactly in the configuration that it was in before. If you go back into the old default. mm -hmm. defaults. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I think people would probably okay. be best off to do like two or three sessions in a month. If they're trying to overcome something major and not just looking for a taste of the experience and a general tune up, but also with just one session, if you were then resolute and held down your mental change or held, held it up, I should say, then yeah, anything would be possible from there. And pretty radical shifts could be possible for people. Um, uh, yeah. And then I'll like usually throw some divination at the client right after the tuning fork session so that we can with synchronicity demonstrate in yet another layer that what I found in the sound healing was accurate because the cards will invariably just tell the exact story that I just finished telling them about what I heard in their field. And I'll pull cards and be like, look, this card is what I was just saying. And <laughs> so, so that's always wild. Um, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, one is, do you use a protection spell before you do these things? And then two would be uh, when you use uh, these tuning forks, are there different keys that you use them in? Or is it just one key? And what key is that? I actually am currently working primarily on the solfeggio frequencies. Okay. And there's a fun mystery and all that that it's been trying to unravel that seems to be connected to like the cosmic egg and the Holy grail and the Templar wow. mysteries of John the Baptist, all of this spinning out of me researching solfeggio. But the, you asked about a protection spell before I go into the session or actually when we're in the session together. Well, okay. Before I get them on the phone, I'll like sage the whole space and, and yeah. cleanse and clear the whole space where I'm working. And I lay out a massage table as if they're going to be laying on it, but I just put like a column of crystal and uh, candles. It's mostly selenite crystal because that's a super purifying uh, and clearing. Here's one right here type of energy. Uh -huh. And so that will represent their central core column chakra system. And that's like for all intents and purposes, their body 
for me in the session and I'm holographically imaginarily projecting their body onto the table as if they're really there. And then we're like on a phone call typically, although I've also done it where we're not even on the phone and we just pick a certain time and they lay down to receive it. So it can be done anyway because it just works on the ether principle that everything's connected to everything and there's no separation Uh, and all life. So like life force energy is one, like there's multiple plural vessels and containers of life force energy, but life force energy itself is what is one in the cosmos. And that's one thing that I've learned without a doubt from doing this, which was really helpful because when you start to have deep, deep in spiritual experiences or psychedelic experiences and you feel the interconnectivity of all life, it can actually lead you towards a couple of possible pitfalls, like the one being the God complex or another one being, you know, you get sent to the sanitarium because you think you're Jesus Christ or you see everybody as like nothing but a reflection of each other and lose the sense of individuality or you believe that like ego is the bad guy, things like that. The case is, though, that like what I've discovered for myself is that we are individuals and we're different vessels and we carry the life force energy and the degree to which we can be a pure, harmonious and non-leaky vessel for life force energy is the degree to which we are entrusted with the power of the source and the power to draw things from the place or the no place, if you will, the void from which all things come from in the first place, which that's like law of attraction made more clear. That's how things manifest. That's how we have miracles in our life. And also it's our attractiveness as a being actually goes hand in hand with that. The amount of light that you contain in your vessel will also be reflected in how good looking or not you are because when you're really leaking life force energy for a long period of time, you will have distortion occur in your body as a outward reflection of that. Like you see the old people that have lived a really rough life hard on themselves, McDonald's forever. And like their ears will be dripping down and like their nose will be like getting longer every year. It's just this distortion thing happens and, no shade to somebody that like has one thing or another going on with their body. I've had people like, after I say something like that, contact me and they're like, my face is melting, help me. And, <laughs> but I do think though, that like, if you get your energy, right, you can be a hot ass old person. And the fact that beauty is something we innately can recognize and we're drawn towards that's because the outer is a reflection of the inner. I'm not talking about like fake beauty. That's, why cosmetics and the cult of the medics are so disgusting and how they have always used the, the uh, sacrificial children as cosmetic uh, material. It's really weird and gross. Like the aborted fetus parts that go into makeup or even into like Pepsi. I think maybe they took out it. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole, there was like a whole list that went around a few years back of all the major corporations that used some chemical derived from aborted fetuses as a flavoring of some kind. A flavoring? Yeah. Yes. yes. And a lot of mainstream foods and also in cosmetics. 
majorly in cosmetics. They use uh, placenta parts and umbilical cord parts in stuff that women put on their face. Uh, and I guess some dudes. And all of that <laughs> is because the medical industry is really like symptomatic or the, the cosmetics industry is really sy symptomatic of the medicine industry mm -hmm. in the sense that most people are wearing the cosmetics because the same reason that they're still willing to wear the mask right now, because they are happy to not show their face because they think it's ugly in some way that they don't like the light of it. And that's all stuff that if you are really vibing and taking good care of yourself and your health will self-resolve that you can actually go from being like creepy and off-putting to magnetic and attractive without much actually changing about your physical body. And we have like a very slowed down perception of physicality in the first place, mostly because we've begun to diff a long time ago, we differentiated matter from spirit mentally. And that's been keeping us in uh, artificial time construct of cut artificial increments that have nothing to do with or no relation to the real flow of moment to moment, which is non-linear and non-delineatable. Uh, like one moment will feel, you can't say how long a moment is, and the same chronological span of time will feel different for different activities, right? It'll be really quick or really slow. And all this is just like me trying to get to the bottom of and explain here how our relationship to our health and the masking of or the covering of symptoms rather than addressing the electrical and energetic, thus spiritual reasons for our dis-ease and our lack of wellness and coherence and cohesion all have led us to the cult of the mask and the false personas and the metaverse and virtual reality <laughs> and going further and further into artificial forms of identification. Um, and all of that could be much simply, much more simply addressed with resonant technologies like sound. And I think ancestors were into that and they probably were so good at it that everyone was just getting the sound bath all the time from the architecture, from the bells, yeah. from the yeah. organs. Yeah. And yeah. so there wasn't really the need to very often probably work on somebody. And if there was, they had, I bet some amazing methods for that. But we're the all... fact is we're just like surrounded in a soup of non coherent frequencies because of the, the way the tech is right now. We're all um, but I got away from a question that I wanted to make sure that I address yeah. real quick. It was regards to prayers or protection spells. And yeah. like I said, I, I cleanse the space with Sage before a session. And then this is also going to explain how it works non-locally. The very first thing that I do with the client is we make an agreement, a verbal contract that higher self or the one life force energy that is whole that is inside all of us and that we are vessels for we me and the client make an agreement that that higher self the total self is in charge of the entire process and that neither i nor the other person has to do anything right for it to work other than that we engage in the process and we openly reflect on the perspectives we gain from it 
And then we like call in ancestors, guardians, spirit guides. We specifically do not consent to non-helpful or interfering entities or energies to be present. And then we go from there. So we very clearly with the voice speak our intention of exactly how the session is going to go, what type of energy is invited, what is not allowed, and then we make it happen. So like that is possibly the most important part of the entire process. And then afterwards, whenever I'm done with them, I will go outside with the bare feet. I will burn sage again. I will release any energy that I picked up off of the session to the earth and get myself back to a grounded, neutral baseline. And that's also a super important part of the process that I learned the hard way before I was using tuning forks just by experimenting with uh, energy healing with ki or chi that by not doing the grounding part of the process, I like started to make myself ill and I didn't know why I was getting sick. And then when I discovered grounding the first time I did it, like I felt the illness go through my feet and out into the ground. So I knew there was something to it. Anyway, that's, a, I'm sure you have questions from the stuff I just described, but I wanted to be clear about the, the protective layers of the whole process because yes. it is good. It's a good practice for life generally to to say what you want and what you don't want and be clear about that regularly. I, I just had a statement before Roman asked this question where it seems like we're all masking our own reality because of the trauma that we've all incurred in our lifetimes. And so people want to hide themselves away because nobody wants to deal with their actual trauma. Instead, they just want things to cover them up over and over again. And that's how we get our reality now. But go ahead, Roman. Oh, you got to You also uh, thank you. That was beautiful. That was beautifully put. Uh, but you got to be careful using words like, uh, you know, nobody and everybody and stuff like that, because there's still granted, you know, the the amount of people doing the, the work to heal may may or not be great. But, you know, there still are people out there doing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's not nobody <laughs> I'm, so. I'm generalizing, but gener but absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I understand that. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, Chance, you, you uh, articulate very beautifully and, and great. And then you, we go into a lot of uh, depth of details, which leads yeah. for a lot of, you know, Each going back and being that. like, hey, hey, I'm working on it. He's been doing it for six years, man. Oh, but hey, hey, all right, all right. Hey, through. Um, okay, so because um, this, this, all this stuff is incredibly intriguing and I, and I love it. And, um, you know, I have some friends and I work with some healers myself. And the first time that I had an energy clearing uh, session or, or, you know, an energy healing session away from her on the phone and it actually working was was absolutely just i i was so i it was beautiful it's was, paradigm shifting it is it's wild i was like i you know like i try to be open to things uh and so you know i was like i was i was open to doing the session and, and thus i was states away and it, and it worked and that was beautiful but real quick question so feggio I, as a, as a musician myself, I am just in awe about, you know, ancient, uh, uh, resonances and, and frequencies and the Schumann resonance and such. And then the solfeggio scale, which being, you know, the harmonious goodness of a lot of the origins of music itself, 
but it's so esoteric and hard to find real research on and, and especially anything modern. You know, they have we have like a kind of basic understanding of the scales that were used and the notes that were used. But um, when I started looking into it, the tuning of all instruments, modern instruments that you can buy widespread have all been changed to a different Hertz away from a, a natural healing Hertz. And I found that really interesting. And I, I wanted to gauge your opinion on it. Well, there's probably something to that, but also remember that mind is a strong ally or hindrance. And so I don't think it's helpful to just be like, ah, Taylor Swift to the grocery store. It's killing my aura. <laughs> that does happen though. It does happen. Like sometimes <laughs> I do, like I do sometimes hear the top 40 bullshit and I'm like, this is actually making me dumber. I can yeah. feel it. So yeah. yeah, there's something to it. And uh, the Schumann resonance is a fascinating topic. I keep an eye on how crazy it's been this Blowing year. Up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's Lord. oftentimes like coincides with big peak experiences I had. And then I go look at the chart for that day and it was just all light and I'm, Oh, okay. We're, we're doing it together. But, uh, actually I used one of Eileen McCusick's tuning forks for on the body work. That's a weighted tuning fork called a sonic slider. Mm. highly recommend that if people are like listening to me talk about this and they are curious, that's the one to get for self-work because the aura technician stuff I do, that's with non-weighted forks and I'm hearing them more loudly, but the weighted forks are lower frequency, lower cycles per second. I don't know if we should call them Hertz because they feel good. And Hertz, yes. is, a Hertz is a family name and not a very nice family. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and it's funny that they co-opted that that word love, for would love to current. go deeper in on that that's that's incredibly fascinating story right there right yeah i don't i'm not equipped to go deeper on it but i do know that the lower vibrational frequency is more like more like massage ish the sonic slider thing i'm talking about is the schumann times 12 because, you know, if you were getting into like an 8.56 or whatever the Schumann hovers around these days, that would be, you wouldn't be able to make a small fork that could oscillate that low <laughs> very easily. So she came up with the 12th harmonic of that particular frequency for her sonic slider weighted tuning fork. And it feels amazing. You hold it to your body. I don't have it on me to demonstrate, but actually that was the first thing I tried with tuning forks and I healed a shoulder injury that I had had persistently for almost a year. Wow. By using this directly on the body. So people could try that. It's marketed as a cosmetic tool to go back to the conversation about cosmetics. Interesting. I think that's a way that it gets into the hands of more middle-aged ladies that otherwise wouldn't have bought it, but it can actually help with, like face sagging and skin tone and all kinds of things like whatever part of the body you use it on you're putting you're actually stimulating with electricity because sound and vibration is electricity it's, it's just a different part of the spectrum your, of it it's, it's tightening up your your vibration your aura so therefore your skin and vessel is able to like actually kind of maybe more keep on the maintenance side yeah it. and just then, takes like a couple minutes a day of using it uh, I don't really use it on my face because I'm already so handsome, but <laughs> maybe so, someday. 
Uh, but I want to talk about Selfeggio. I won't forget, though, so you hit me with it, Dan. Okay. What yeah, did you have to say? I do want to talk about Selfeggio, too. Uh, so when you go about your daily life, do you see people and notice, like, where their trauma might be, where they could be cleared at because of their facial expressions or their their overall, uh, I don't know how to say, like, their the way their body behaves or mm. mutated in a way, do you go, like Oh, a, you need my help. Are there specific <laughs> physical attributes that might correlate to some sort of like energy trauma, something uh, like that? I'm more like for that type of on the spot diagnosis, I've gotten more adept at being able to pick out issues, but it's more along the lines of like where there's damage to the face and how that corresponds in a reflexology sense to different organs. And then once you have an idea of like what organs are affected, then, and you have some knowledge of the biofield anatomy, or even how in other esoteric systems, the chakras are connected to certain organs, and then that chakra has a particular positive or negative polarity in terms of what emotional output that it might have. So the biofield system isn't exactly new and revolutionary in the sense of we have known for a long time that certain organs like your liver, if your liver is angry, you're, you're angry. <laughs> it's like a real thing. It goes, the liver and anger go hand in hand. That's a good example. Or, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot of examples like that. Uh, lungs are connected to solar plexus energy, willpower, Right. And it proves itself in the fact that somebody that has the willpower as like a, like a big distance runner or something, they have really strong lungs. Someone that has really shitty willpower and they're like chain smoking cigarettes, they have weakened lungs. There's a lot of examples like that. And then you can see there's parts of the face that correspond with lungs and anyway, um, or maybe like oh, an extreme obesity issue is actually more often than not connected to heart chakra trauma. And when you think about heart disease, obesity and heart disease are mad linked. Yeah. And so that usually is like a person that is coming up with a form of physical armoring because not only are they pushing these hard feelings of, of grief or depression off their body, off to the side, away from themselves, but then they're putting in an entire layer of extra matter and material to armor themselves from their own feelings that they've pushed off to the side. So they have bad balance. They're literally off balance. And uh, I, I've encountered that before too, big time. And then if there's like that big blockage in the heart chakra, then the lower body chakras, the physical body chakras are going to have extremely compromised abilities, which will lead the individual to feel kind of like they're just a floating head. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, we've all probably felt that way at times in our life, especially earlier in our path before we were getting healthier or grounded in our physical self and learning to love our physical self. Uh, and so it is only natural that the next manifestation in the fractal of the floating head syndrome energetically would be put on a VR helmet and live in the metaverse, give up <laughs> your meat for the meta. M A oh, same letters M E A T M E T A <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah um as far as being able to just like 
psychically pick up on people's trauma and stuff. If I can, if I, I can, I'm compassionate or perceptive enough to usually be able to tell what sort of emotional output someone has through their normal level of expression. And I think a misunderstanding about psychic abilities is that they're for some people. And in some instances, they really are magical and like a message just pops into your head. That's true. And I think some of that has to do with harder to notice below the surface things like what's their astrological chart and yours. And maybe you and them have something about your planets that gives a very easy and specific psychic transmission, but you have to be physically touching or things like that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of variables when it comes to psychic abilities and someone that's like, I'm always psychic and I can always read minds. Uh, there may be some special individuals that are like that, but generally I think it's different from person to person and from person from you as an individual to each other person, your ability to be psychic with them is varied depending on a lot of different possibilities. However, the misconception that I alluded to is that most of what is psychic ability is actually just paying attention. And so the more yeah. present you are and the more of your actual life force energy is present with you in your vessel and centered, the more perceptive you are because the life force energy is consciousness and consciousness is feeling. And so the more consciousness that you have filling up your cup, the more you notice and the more things you notice, the more your intuition can weave together an explanation for why all those things are what they are. So psychic abilities are very simply put developed by getting healthier and getting more in tune with your body and more in the present moment which is why meditation is a key step towards developing anything psychic because you are getting yourself more in the present moment habitually as a practice. Excellent. Yeah. I was going to mention that show psych. It's a, it's about a, <laughs> a cop, I, I love that show. Yeah. He acts like a psychic and everything to solve crimes, but really what he does is he just pays attention more in the present moment and sees clues and he's able to pick up on those clues differently than other people and uh solve that is psychic problems. it's just that it's not it's, just, it's psychic demystified yeah really yeah. <laughs> seems like, you know, psychic could be like a you know like a lot of things are they're, they're blanket terms for a lot of encapsulating things within it but uh, the ability to just like go right into your mind and scoop out information and psychically have it is a violation of free will so that's a, type of, that's a type of black magic almost kind of yeah like. that type of ability would come at a cost and it wouldn't be a good one mm. yeah. oh on that i wanted to say something that i i had a while back um that i think i thought was interesting to kind of almost put us into this you know when the the word metaverse came up with I try not even to say it, you know, uh, because I'm incredibly anti-transhumanism. Um, and I wanted to, talk hey, me about too. The, I wanted to talk about the two tales of technology later and how that, that all plays out in this stuff. But something I thought was interesting because, uh, and we've kind of gone into this before, but like, you know, that the, the push of atheism and the, like the, the late, the eighties, I guess with like the birth of like this, like rock and roll this heavy rock this situation that came in with the changing the standard changing of standard tuning changing right even guitars being built differently to have a different standard tuning 
um, to, to kind of like, you know, use for Led Zeppelin and use for these like MK type of bands, um, or what have you, but there being this, like this idea of being able to sell your soul. Right. And they'd be like, how they get so good at playing the guitar. They must've sold their soul. And then there's been so many people over the decades that have been basically saying, if I could sell my soul, I would, you know why? Because money, because of things, you know, because, Hey, atheism, you know, we're only here on this planet. It's spinning through the earth or spinning through the, you know, spinning through the, the galaxy and falling. And we have zero purpose because we live within the vacuum, the nothingness, and that's being pressed down upon us societally. And, but then you look at where we're going and putting ourselves into this digital automation of the digital twin being created. And it's like, have they have, have so many people said and come to the terms that they would sell their soul. So therefore they're going to do it. And then that's why we're so willing to have like, let go of, of this into that, you know, did that oh, make man. sense? Any of that makes sense? I don't know if it made sense, but it made me think. <laughs> no, it made sense. It made sense. And the interesting thing about the soul is that it's one. When you have your soul intact, there's just one of it. When you have fragmentation of your soul, which even occurs in the situations I've been talking about in your biofield, that's when it eventually leads like at the extreme end to multiple personality disorder. But what about selling your soul like you just brought up? That is a really good question. Well, I think that the soul being one is a clue to what that means in the sense that you can't really sell your soul as in the life force energy that you are and your spirit is technically infinite and eternal, I'm, in my opinion. But I guess I can't prove that. You could invite <laughs> we'll take it. someone or something else in, and then you're not the soul soul in there in your vessel anymore. And that, uh, that like, who, what are these entities? That's a whole interesting topic. I've been heavily researching lately, studying the seraphim, cherubim, angel, aliens, <laughs> yeah. like, and all the mysteries and riddles in the languages that seem to prove that they do exist, whether or not I've personally had any dealings with UFOs, haven't really. I've seen some, maybe they seem more like fairy lights, but you know, that's neither here nor there. The selling of the soul for fame and blues, blues guitar, all of that, it comes about with this contract or agreement that you make with something that you have projected outside of yourself and given invested in this power of it can do these things and manifest these things for me that I cannot do by myself or I don't want to do by myself. And the one of the definitions of evil actually is undue expediency. So we do evil on ourselves when we try to rush a process and not allow life to take the no normal steps to germinate Whoa. and grow an idea. And so this has an immediate ramification for the being in the sense that if you sell your soul, as in you let the entity in and the contract is that it's going to make you a wicked good performer. You're like, you look at some of these like Lady Gaga stage performances and stuff. It's crazy how like the performance is technically just often masterful and adept, even if it's like symbolically gross and 
at that 440 death doors type of vibratory signature. But there's still like in this luciferic sense, an amazing amount of light coming off of what they're doing. And their, so their like, energy, they're, they're like presenting something. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But what, like that is their light being burning themselves out faster than what is supposed to happen. So like if you went through your normal process of growth and you eventually developed to be really good at an instrument and through connecting in love and in normal human behavior, you ended up becoming notorious for how good you were as a musician. And someday you were performing for many, many people at once. None of that process is going to leave you a burned out husk that needs to slurp adrenochrome to keep going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but now like another metaphor to look at here is because what it is, is like how you can always recognize these these MK Ultra slaves because they just come on the scene at the age of Justin Bieber and yeah. all of a sudden they're like mega world famous. Well, anyone that's actually tried to make something of themselves, especially in the creative artist world, knows that, yeah, right. Like that just doesn't happen. There's gatekeepers that open those gates. But yeah. when those gates open, it was their own life force energy that came rushing out the dam of their damnation. So think about the person that wins the lottery and they were like broke or you know normal lower middle class person and all of a sudden they've got like millions of dollars and it doesn't go well for them it's because your current and your currency whether it's social currency or money anything that's related to this type of light and charge that you're able to command is completely related to like your currency is related to your current. And mm -hmm. so it's so why your health, it, this health is wealth, right? The better you are in your health, the more easily Whoa. you just make money and money comes to you and you don't have to grind and beat your head against the wall to make the money. You're just in a flow state with it. But then you got the people that will trade their health for money. That's selling their soul. Even if they're not doing it for blues guitar fame, but they think, mm -hmm. oh, I just keep Robert working a hundred hour weeks at the office and I just make all this money over the next 10 years, then I'll be all set. But then at the end of the 10 years, they probably still don't really have the money that they were trying to get and they're all fucked up. That's because the amount of charge, the amount you can be in charge in the external world is related to your charge electrically. And the amount of currency that you can wield without burning yourself up and your circuitry is related to your inner circuitry and the strength and integrity and coherence of your current. So whenever we look at the, like the celebrity side of that in the selling of the soul, well, unless they find a way to get in the pyramid scheme, <laughs> multi-level marketing scheme, more people to sign up under them and they're eating those people's light because uh, basically they got entities into somebody else underneath them and uh, they're receiving the benefits of that further up the chain. If they don't do that, like they will end up being a short-lived one-hit wonder, you know, burnout. And before you know it, they're worse off than before they took the deal. So uh, I kind of went into a lot there, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that when you're when you're talking, I had a, a little synchro because when I was going to 
name this uh uh this chat right you know i i I thought a few different things came through my head i was trying to do some wordplay with your name you know (laughs) and uh one of the things i was gonna say is uh is name it is take a chance plant a seed grow a garden (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful beautiful. i was like i've heard take a chance before but never grow a garden so (laughs) that'll do do. take a chance plant a seed grow a garden oh that's that's beautiful dan that's beautiful (laughs) uh but i ended up just putting chance instead because it was too long um you said you had a lucky life i mean that's you know it's interesting to think that like when you take chance, when you put energy into something, into the path, you're generally going to have something that may, people may consider luck, but your name is chance. And that's like, wow. It's like, it's like you were almost set up for that type of success just through having that be your, you know, ch- ch- taking chances, your existence. That's, yeah. that's, that's fucking dope. I think a name says a lot about a person and what you get named. I think it's very interesting, you know, when you see people named like, uh john smith and they they're a smith and they you know fashion uh uh tools and stuff or you get like uh, <laughs> they fashion tools uh, john john baker and he owns a bakery you know stuff like you know stuff like that um nice my my name is daniel and uh my name means to be judged by god and me and him have a ever going battle Smart oh team. yeah, I know how it is for Daniels. <laughs> I know some uh, Daniels. So, I mean, uh, there's a You're lot worthy, of though. You judge worthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, one one other thing, because uh, well, I want to pause wanna... on that real quick. That's just a really fascinating subject to me. It is because it is, I it think is. you're right that the name that a being gets in the dimension is actually who they are, and there's no like when they call it your God-given name with your first name. It's not because your parents were like, hey, God, what do I name my baby? It's because the spirit that men call God, which is actually just life force energy and the creative intelligence of the cosmos, self-existing, eternal, the Tao, if you will. Well, it did choose the name because the wrong thing can never happen. Free will exists, but it's also there's also like this amazing divine order that comes out of free will it's an yeah. outgrowth just the well, same where, way that where's a jam the free session will of independent here? instruments can create a harmonious orderly sound even though it's a bunch of freely improvising musicians right so i was uh thinking about that uh, just this week the name thing and i believe that it's not just the spirit of the meaning of the name but also the numerical association of the name Mm. and that's tricky because well which cipher do you use there's so many ciphers but lately i've been kicking around the idea that maybe the septenary cipher is the most key and important one which is where a is one and it goes up till g is seven Mm -hmm. and then down six five four three two one and then at n that's a one m is one and n is one and it goes all the way back up to seven and down again. So it's just with the number one digits, one through seven. And in that uh, chance is 19, which is uh, basically like alchemical marriage number. It's the sun. 
And then my last name is 23. When you put those together, it's 42, which is the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. everything. So I lucked out. Adds up to 42. Yeah. 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 Then I like the other ciphers too, like ordinal and full reduction. I'm just super into all the ways that we can find layers of meaning and peel the onion of Mm -hmm. life and see that everything is everything. Yeah, my name adds up, my whole name adds up to four. Uh, My whole birthday adds up to four. And I forget how to get the other one, but it's basically four, four, and four. Yeah. Yeah, so parents out there, pick a cool name for your kids. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, too, because a lot of times, you know, you'll ask somebody, like, wow, that's a really interesting name. Why, like why are you named that? And like, I don't know. Like my, my parents didn't know. They just kind of chose a name last minute. It was like, whatever came to them. They had this list of names that were potentialities. And then this was the name that was given. It was like, and you were talking earlier about free will. Well, where was the free will without the will being free of the womb yet? It was out yet like energetically potentially there, but not, you know, the free will made by the parents or the free will made by the name because it's like these parents are giving a name to the entity coming out of that body maybe maybe the baby I was named was like... by a senile old relative <laughs> actually like um my serious my my dad had an my dad's aunt so like i guess my great aunt or maybe she, maybe she was like my great great aunt i never met her because she was already gone when i was wow born. wow and they uh they were visiting her when my mom was pregnant and she patted my mom's belly and she was like how's little chance doing in there and they were not intending to name me that. But then from that point on, they're like, I guess that is his name. So, in a, but she was kind of not all there and all about to die and possibly a dementia. Like I said, I didn't meet her, but I fe- find that really interesting that she correctly guessed my name <laughs> because she was actually right. That was my name. And that's kind of a trip. That is. She took a chance on chance. <laughs> I was going to say like a little fetal, fetal Roman being like, mom, name me Roman. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good one too, because like, yeah, no my mom. you're such a gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, Roman, he's no. always Roman everywhere too. He's all over the place, man. He's I'm, never I'm, in the same place. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stop, but <laughs> what's then. Your, every, what's your sun sign? Um, Scorpio, um, Scorpio, Gemini moon, rising Taurus. Okay, cool. Just wondering. Yes. But so my mom, like, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a reason. Like they just, they're, they weren't religious by any means. And my father was 27. My mom was 17 and he was a gypsy type of surfer, man. who just kind of popped through town was like, Hey, hold on. You need some seed. Here you go. Peace. And, uh, but so it was just like, the, 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 you know, like the, cho- the choosing of the, the name, like, was just like, it was just, it just happened. She said, you know, like, she doesn't honestly know why it was either, uh, she, yeah. So it's, it's so, it's so fascinating. And then when, like you said, when you break down how these names have geometrical, gem- uh, which is yep. not a word, but a geometrical, <laughs> no, which isn't the word easier, gem- gematria. Cool. whatever <laughs> numbers it has it has symbolic meaning within numbers and it's it's predetermined and then later you find out like well these things are resonating with me fascinating it's just so fascinating 
Yeah, so I think you could also, if you wanted to make a name for yourself in a new venture, that you could actually just make up a new name and go with that name for what you're doing. I have known people that, obviously, we all know like authors that pick a pen name, but I've known people that picked a name for them going into business as like a healer or a teacher and becoming a public personality for the first time, where they actually did consider a gematria meaning for a new name that they give themselves for their dealings online. And I think that's legitimate. Uh, I don't think that that's, there's anything wrong with that. I kind of find that very interesting. I just lucked out and got one that already lined up with what I wanted to do. So from your grandma or from it, from a great aunt too. Yeah, I think, I think it was a great aunt. Not I'm sure so it was an aunt, but I can't remember if it was great or great, great. That is some next level stuff. Okay, real quick question. As a healer, I want to ask you a question on your opinion on, I mean, obviously, we haven't really touched on much on ancient history, which is like wait, 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 stuff wait. that we really like oh. to do. And I'm not doing it yet, but yes, go ahead, Dan. Are, are, we, are you switching gears into a different thing? Not yet. Okay, That's why okay. I, I want to ask this one before we get out of the gears, before we go. Because we still we still need to go back to Surfeggio. Something yeah, that uh, dangling Chad we have to, yeah. And then I had one uh, question about pyramid power, and then that would lead into the Surfeggio. So Ooh. as long as you're not changing the subject, I'm cool. I'm not. This touches in earlier on, <laughs> this touches in earlier on our entity okay, okay. Uh, entity entrance. What is your opinion on exorcists and exorcisms when that used to go down back in the day? Do you believe in exorcisms oh, that they happened? And, yeah. and and yeah, like let's let's do that. I think it's possible because I've been I've done one one time. Oh, at least one time. Uh, I would say that it's very likely possible. And now, whether it's necessarily proving the Christian theology worldview i wouldn't necessarily agree with that for sure but hmm, i do a a lot of study on the paranormal and have for years like it's a always my go-to topic of interest to hear what are essentially almost always anecdotal stories about this happened to me and that happened to me but over time you collect enough stories from people and you start to think, well, consistency is the hallmark or the ring of truth. And there's a lot of consistency here in some places. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean when I say that I think exorcisms are real is, yeah, I think that there are malevolent vampiric entities that are non-physical. I think that energy vampirism is super real because I've made a big study of that just on the human level. And with things like Curlian photography, which is photography of the electrical field or the aura, you can demonstrate that energy vampirism or psychic vampirism has an effect, a very, very profound effect on somebody's aura whenever they've suffered it and when they're the perpetrator. And people do this as a survival mechanism most of the time. However, there are practiced and on-purpose energy vampires, and that's a whole different can of worms and very, very fascinating subject and worth knowing about so that, you know, we don't let ourselves get juiced just because we're trying to be nice. We realize when it's happening and we have healthy boundaries because at the end of the day, we don't want anyone to be eating our light, whether or not they did it intentionally or we, we don't want to try to feed it to them as a way to try to fix them. It's a major deal. 
So yeah. fuck Pac-Mans. <laughs> <laughs> that grappler shit. Yeah. The, <laughs> now, light balls. When it comes to exorcisms, I have a personal interpretation. I took this from the writings of Clint Richardson, who wrote Straw Man Story, the amazing, huge tome on the legal fiction that we're all playing Monopoly with. And he defined Jehovah, the word Jehovah, as a verb, not a noun, and essentially meaning the same thing as the Tao. Mm -hmm. It's the self-existing, eternal life force energy of creation, the inflow perpetually. (laughs) That's Jehovah. So it's it's a spirit. It is the spirit that animates all matter, and all matter actually is that spirit. So there's not technically a separation. And, you know, it's one thing that dogmatists will want to argue with you about, but the creation is the creator or is it not? Is there a separation between creation and creator? Mm. I tend to think that the creation and the creator are one and that everything on the energetic level or the life force level is. But if we have this idea that Jehovah is the life force energy itself and its existence, literally is existence, then that would mean whatever Satan is or the adversary, because that's what Satan means. And an adversary. So a lot of things could be a Satan, but Satan in the terms of against Jehovah would be literally the definition of evil. It's evil is live backwards. So anything that inverts the processes of life or impedes or stops the unfolding of life in a natural flow would be evil and energy vampirism, psychic vampirism entities that may partake in this type of behavior would thus be evil and also would be probably doing what they're doing because of a belief of necessity. And in my paranormal research, there's been plenty of like hypnotherapists that I've looked into where they've dealt with people's entity attachments. And it seems like a lot of these earthbound spirits, uh, they pop out of their body when they die. They're afraid to go into the light because they don't want to be judged by God. And they think that's the thing that'll happen or they'll be obliterated or they'll be sent to hell or whatever. Which is so so ironically, the fear of hell is what sends the spirits of the dead straight into metaphorical hell or serving of Satan. The thing about it, though, is that it's just a bunch of middle management in the terms of like sorcerers that command these type of earthbound spirits or even like non-physical black man magicians do exist men in black black robes and there are in hospitals entities like this all over the place where when people pop out of their body there is a dark spiritual force waiting there and is like hey i know you're scared to go to hell and you don't want to talk to god or whatever and they look for the individuals that are putting off the most fear vibration to approach like this and they will get the souls of the recently deceased into a contractual agreement to work for them. And the deal is that if you work for our master, which is, you know, the head honcho, Satan, demiurge idea, then you will be allowed to live. You can continue existing. You won't get dissolved by the light, but stay away from the light. That'll, that'll end you because you're evil. 
and they're already confused and scared. So they will go into this agreement where then the next thing they know, they're jumping into somebody else's body and trying to get them to like commit suicide or drive them to drink or whatever it is that loses them. And that is just fed up the chain to actual physical beings that are commanding this hierarchy. Now, as far as there being like a one that's like the devil, well, there may be like some serious head honcho big bosses that are part of this Ponzi scheme. A round table. But yeah, but but the idea of an adversary to Jehovah or an adversary to existence, that's a joke because the opposite of existence is non-existence. So Whatever this is that's the adversary to existence, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Okay. So in that sense, evil is conceptual because everything, even that we perceive as evil and that has evil intent, still leads through the course of time to the good prevailing, no matter what. So life cannot life is equivalent to existence, and life can't be ever fully extinguished or destroyed mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like existence is the only thing that can exist because non-existence can't end existence that's why they, <laughs> can't, that that's why they can't define black dark matter or you know that 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 black matter that they so so prominently need to have exist within you know there's this there's there's this there's this thing that's there you can't see it we can't find it but let me tell you about dark matter and it's keep like, giving us your money or yeah, you know, exactly. we'll, we won't tell you when the <laughs> asteroid's coming or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad you kind of... So with exorcisms, just to finish that thought up, with exorcisms, if you ever feel like you're encountering an entity or a, a malevolent spirit that is messing with your home or a loved one, uh, you can simply tell it that the master that you think you're serving doesn't exist. Literally, you're serving nothingness. And the, you tell the beings right now, the ones that are around are hearing me say this. You tell the beings you're serving non-existence and the fact that you serve non-existence is why you continue to roam incorporally without a living body. And as soon as you release the contract to serve non-existence and evil and return to the light, you will return to existence and have a new birth, a new body, a new life all in due time. But by serving Satan or the adversary to life, the adversary to existence, the beings perpetuate their own non-physicality and non-existence. Because when I say that they are non-existent, it's because we're only even interacting with them hypothetically in our head and Uh with words and language and communication. And we could be making that up and we could be wrong. Then maybe they aren't even there, but we feel like they're there. The point is to get real about what existence is. (laughs) Let them know that and you're letting yourself know that and you're making the agreement that you want to serve life force energy and thus the good. But on and that tip though, they curi- run off at that point. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, on that tip. So like curious if like, you know, there is the definite, uh, you know, darkness that exists within the consciousness and within the constructs of our own mind, which is the constant battle, which is very, <laughs> very constant and always happening and interesting. But if say, you know, there's more than one uh, human, human, a liver one who is living currently and existing and then they're getting into a room full of other negative people then they're all creating this negative energy maybe almost like creating an energetic source or something that's there that can like then you know flip on and off the light switch or knock boxes over or do something like that 
where it's not just one person thinking that there's something going on, but they're all energetically maybe creating this type of entity. Hmm? Like a Tulpa idea. I don't, I don't know what that is. So what's that? So what? Well, it's like a, a, a thought form made. Yeah, a thought form made physical. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that stuff is possible. I think that there are the uh, non-physical beings that are energetically in existence, but just not physically incorporate in bodies like we are. I think the whole point of the Lushing scheme is to get enough life force energy without having to actually go into the light itself through this parasitic means to generate and sustain physical forms. Sounds like transhumanism to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's transhumanism is all about this. It's about creating vessels outside of the normal process of the womb so that you have empty vessels to be filled with. Like, it's literally invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, yeah. Oh, two babies. Oh, oh, exactly to create husks that the, husks. the non-human intelligences that are wanting to eat this world or have been harvesting off this world for a long time can then actually just come right in and become mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> one thing I was going to say is uh, oh, through talking to Yake is that when I asked him about the word devil, he told me that it meant wheel. So it was very interesting. You kind of circled back around in that description because you created a wheel. Um, but I wanted to get into pyramid power. Now you're like, what What are you talking about, Daniel? Well, I'm going to tell you. So when I used to be into ancient alien stuff, uh, there is a movie called The Pyramid Code, Robert Bouval. And uh, some of what they talked about was that it was a, a power source or a power plant, so to speak, to generate electricity. But one of the other things... Uh, that was talked about is the sarcophagus in the king's chamber and how the frequency inside that sarcophagus was actually tuned to that of a like an infant baby and we were talking about tuning yourself back to default to heal yourself Um, I was wondering if you have any knowledge of this and because to me it kind of seems like maybe it could have been because a lot of people will talk about how they the pyramids might have been uh, hospitals of some sort and that they were actually doing healing to each other and uh, reviving their bodies and their cells back to a default self like an infant uh, to rejuvenate um, and so with the biofield tuning or the what did you call it ether tuning or um, uh, aura tuning I guess I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Spirit uh, healing. It kind of it has sort of the same similar aspect to it. I think that anything is possible in terms of what the pyramids were there for, but I uh, like to reference the Emerald Tablets of Thoth for that, where it seems to be suggested that the point of that king's chamber in the sarcophagus is actually as a type of stargate but for consciousness or for for mind where at the end of of one of these 
well, now I feel like I got to back up, but I think that there, <laughs> I think that there are what are referred to in New Age as ascended masters. I do think that there are po- potentially highly advanced souls that incarnate intentionally into the realm and join humanity for specific purposes and never forget who they are when they get here. And what I understood from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth was that at the end of one of these beings' life, they would lay in that uh, sarcophagus and they would go back to another octave of reality that they never left, where on that plane, there are fewer beings and that those fewer beings are themselves perpetually dreaming and regenerating while <laughs> projecting their soul down into the multitude of our life. So not Whoa. every being in like, you know how there's the idea of NPCs and yeah, yeah. non-NPCs. Well, I think that there are, I think that this is like a, a farm of sorts, but not in a negative sense, but what's being grown is souls. And then, of course, like whenever you're growing something or you're cultivating animals, there's going to be predators that are hanging around the edges trying to like figure out how to get some of that. So, of course, there's mm-hmm. not all sunshine and roses with the fact that this is like a, a farm for growing souls. But then um, so not every being is necessarily a receiver of these higher order entities that are maybe responsible for a lot of what we've developed and evolved in terms of systems here on the planet, but that maybe there are multiple people that are holding fragments of the, the original Ennead, if you will, the original nine beings. And this is like, you get this idea in all kinds of places, even in UFO lore with like the, the council of nine or whatever the heck it might be called whenever you hear of it. And this is all speculative to me, but in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, the, the character Hermes Trismegistus is saying that he got in, that he's he's leaving and he's going to get in this sarcophagus in the king's chamber and it's going to transport him to the halls of Amenti. And that's where all, that's where the other advanced, like a, a ascended beings are dreaming their existence here from. So you go back, you wake up, you like, who knows what you do while you're there, but you can think of it like, a lifetime here is life is but a dream as they say and that when you finish a lifetime here you're just waking up somewhere else and in that place it was just a day yeah and then you have another day and so yeah. there's like a never-ending oscillation between levels or octaves of the dream in the day and the night cycle and so i think uh, possibly why you would have a technology like that with the pyramids if there's anything accurate about the emerald tablets at all and then i'm not missing some sort of other metaphor that it's trying to describe would be that it's something a device if you will to keep to help you keep your field in coherence when you transition so that you don't do the whole forgetting thing because if there if that is another octave that's maybe like um more foundational the octave that we exist in now and you got lost on your way back to there (laughs) or like, you know, maybe you just in an inception sense could accidentally fall into another dream within a dream or reincarnate losing all your memories. And 
memories are your identity and your ego and your power. Mm-hmm. If you stripped all the memories out of a being, they'd have nothing left about who they were and they have no ability to do anything. So there could be something about that technology for the retaining of memories for the voyage to the other world. And that maybe that was like reserved for special people and yeah. you know, that had grown to a certain degree of already being like sort of worthy to come back as himself. It would and explain why there's only one. Think, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's um, been some sort of hijacking of technology like that by the parasite class. That's possible too. Cause we see their plans are very long laid and uh, seem mm-hmm. to not care if it's going to take hundreds more years to accomplish. They still, the, the families, the RH Royal house families are still doing it. RH, RH negative Royal house. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Did you, did you even know you did that? Yeah, I knew I did that. I'm okay. actually one. I'm one of them. I know. Me too. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I well, have no, I'm, not, man. I'm not. I I am far from Marge negative. You don't Absolutely even know what not. you are. You don't even yeah, know. I don't want to find out. You okay? a gypsy. You if are you're a gypsy. You're probably Marge negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I can I be 100 percent honest with y'all? Um, I got sh- I got I got very much so in trouble the other day with some of these, some of my um the the ladies that work at the farm by using the term gypsy and I wasn't uh, calling anybody a gypsy by any means. I was actually referencing an album by Gogo Bordello called gypsy punks. Dude, that like, guy's amazing. Yeah. I love, that. I love him. Cool. Too. I know that guy too. Wait, oh, do you, do you know this human? <laughs> Not in person, but I listened to his YouTube video music. It's so good. It's like I, the I, best guitarist ever. Internal flight is my favorite album. Oh, yo. So good. <laughs> I, and they, his story is really interesting as well. I mean, this is completely diverging. 432 though, doesn't he? Does he? I think that he does. For our, I found 432 versions of it before. Maybe. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, but anyway, so getting in trouble. Uh, it's 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 a a very yeah. It's it's a it's a slang word. It's a slang term, apparently, and so, um, you know, we need to be careful of that. But hey, okay, here's the deal. All right, we've well, hopefully digging... there's no anti-defamation league for gypsies. Oh yeah, no offense if that's hurting yes. people's feelings. Yes. I'm saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a so we've been digging into Tartaria, which means we've been digging into the ancient esoteric suppressed history, right? Which means we've been digging into all the theories of Atlantis and all, and all the things. And now we're talking about the pyramids, which are very esoteric and suppressed, and it's speculatory, it's it's intuitive, it's intuition, it's it's a lot of things. It's all the things, and it's beautiful. It's an imagination. It's it's collective consciousness. It's all the fucking things. But so my imagination brought me to a bridge today that was kind of like, you know, there's a lot of connections between ancient Egypt and Atlantis and that uh, Egypt was like the kind of, uh, you know, the, the remnants of some Atlantean civilization. That's what and the Emerald Tablets say. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. as we were talking about that, I went to Audible and I bought Emerald Tablets, you know, the Hermes Trismegistus. I bought that just now, like as of 30 seconds ago. Oh, I could have shown you a free version on YouTube, audiobook. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> I, I need to use the app from time to time. So it's there. Yeah, credits. Yeah. 
Okay, well then maybe you can brief me on this then because you know when you when you think about you know pyramid building cultures, even though granted you know there's obviously you know um, <laughs> opposition in the art between South American, uh, Mesoamerican um, uh, uh, pyramids, and then you have you know the the, the pyramids that exist strictly in you know in Egypt on that side, and Atlantis being the potential bridge between them, between the being the the center of the um, of the political power at that point would be Atlantis, um, and during its age would be like the, the, the stronghold. And then people are like, well, how can Egypt have pyramids and how can, you know, Mexico have the biggest pyramid? They're so far apart from each other. Well, if there was some sort of connection that wasn't Pangea, like the way that we consider Pangea today, but Atlantis was that connection between these continents that would you know, in my in my eyes, it, it actually does make sense. If Atlantis was there, there was this this huge political power, this this civilization that existed in between. You know, um, uh, you know that 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 continent, this continent with that with the ocean in the middle, um, and yeah, like I don't I don't really know where I'm going with that, but I just kind of like that was like that's kind of been my my very recent uh, realizations towards like the pyramid civilizations and Atlantean civilizations. Um, So what is the, what does the Emerald tablet say about that? And what what do you got to say about that chance? Well, the Emerald tablets, just the the thought guy said that the Egyptians were the people that survived the deluge event that destroyed Atlantis when Atlantis sank. Now he doesn't say why it sank. And also that could all just be priest drive anyway. The Emerald Tablets, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I'm really fascinated with the cosmic egg world tree cosmology currently. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely earth shape fluid. Is that, <laughs> is that there on a poster behind you? Yes, it is. And I talk about this image all the time. Uh, but that's a really great artwork by my friend Hakan Hasim from Turkey of the cosmic egg. And one of the elements of this is the possibility that the earth is growing and that it's alive. Right. Absolutely. And so I think it's pretty interesting possibility that these, this Pangea idea was from the pre previous age before the ring that we're on right now expanded out from the middle. So like, Where the land that we're on right now was the middle ring of the rings of the tree, so to speak. It was right there with the central column, the Mount Maru, the chakra of the universe, the north south polarity pillar, right? And maybe an electrolysis event of a hard charge being introduced to the system like fertilization of the egg, so to speak, cause the ground to expand because electrolysis generates sludge and mud seemingly out of nowhere. It's a very mysterious process. And mud flood. Yeah. So mud flood from an electrolysis event seems to be the best explanation, which would mean it's not really anybody's fault and the masters didn't do it to us and the gods weren't angry at us. It's just a natural part of something that occurs in the dimension that the, it and grows. The opportunists are not necessarily like in the Tartarian realm, mud flood realm where like they created the mud flood, this happened. And then they took over all of the architecture. It's almost like something happened 
and then opportunists came to maybe take upon those structures that's how i see it that's how i see it like the uh the fence got broke on the farm and now all the foxes are getting into the chicken coop yeah that's tight that's good yeah so maybe the pyramids of those two civilizations or maybe the peoples were have a similar point of origin before all that expansion happened maybe this is just conjecture. Wow, that's conjecture. <laughs> Absolutely. And we we accept all of the conjecture here within RFTA. So, you know, lay it upon us, chance and a thick, sweet frosting. <laughs> <laughs> conjecture frosting? Yes. Yeah. Uh, On the cosmic egg pie. <laughs> well, I would one thing I would like to touch on though is the Selfeggio because yes. Oh yeah. Yes, we left yeah. that. We left that dangling and I have, a, I agree that like finding credible information about the self tones is tough or like what you can feel is credible, but that goes for everything. Yeah. And so what I think that I know about the tones comes from my using them and my study of the relationship of the numbers that actually create those frequencies we call self Interesting thing, though, like a quick side tangent about it is that there are many Renaissance era paintings. And if that's a real era, <laughs> there are many there are real paintings from what we call the Renaissance and from that high art style that when depicting either like Jesus and Mary and John, which is odd, like why is John the Baptist there all the time as a baby with Jesus? or paintings of just John the Baptist or of just Mary Magdalene, you'll notice, uh, uh, sometimes there's UFOs in the background too, but you'll notice that one of the most common symbols that is shown alongside that, and it's also in a ton of the old world architecture, especially in the cathedrals and with uh, Rome, the Vatican area, are these Roman. people say that it's a pine cone, and they say it represents the pineal gland. Mm -hmm. And that may be accurate, but it also looks like an, a scaly egg. And so I think that this is a, I think the scaled egg has a bunch of deep levels of esoteric symbolism. But one of the things about the scaled egg that I think is being pointed to is solfeggio. Because it's first it's got the word egg in it. <laughs> Self egg. Yo, and the original oldest story that you can get about and the tones, yes, <laughs> yes, seraphim are definitely involved in everything we've been talking about, and we've skirted <laughs> around that. Uh, maybe another future conversation, I could bring some <laughs> research about the seraphim to the table link from the linguistic side. But the uh, the scaled egg, apart from maybe being a cosmic egg idea, pointing to self eggio. It connects to John the Baptist because the older, oldest story of where those frequencies comes from is a hymn to John the Baptist. And uh, Templars obsessed and later orders are obsessed with John the Baptist. Like, you know, Fresh Prince of Smell Hair goes to a John the Baptist <laughs> church. Like, uh, I think Trump had something to do with John the Baptist in his church goings. Like, they always go to John churches, consecrated for John. John being the potentially, potentially even the brother of Jesus, or just mm. a stand-in for the old story of 
Isaac and Esau, which has to do with basically that uh, imposters have inherited the uh, the inheritance of the world, like the rulership of the world, the the spotlight. And since so, since we now connected Solfeggio to Templar mysteries, let's just talk about the actual relationship of the numbers. And this is what I think is most interesting. My own perspective on it from working with them. There are three sets of three. So it's a trinity of trinities when it comes to what constitutes Selfeggio. You have the one, the four, and the seven go together. So 174 hertz, 417 hertz, 741 hertz. Any of those combinations is a Selfeggio frequency. And then, okay, so then you have the two, five, and the eight going together. So 258, 825, 528, etc. And then you have the 369, any combination of 36 and 9. Those are how you get Selfeggio numbers. And when I meditated on why those number combinations would have some sort of mystical properties or healing properties, coherence to them, it made sense because the one, the four, and the seven are all on a, I guess you could call it theosophical addition or reduction, or you could look at the Pythagorean tetractus, which is the triangle of uh, four side, four on each of the three sides, where it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So those are the rows. And like the first row is one, the second row is two, three, the third row is four, five, six, the fourth row is seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's a meant to be a symbol of the tetragrammaton, actually. It, but it's called the tetractus. It's another it's the it's another symbol of the all, the <coughs> Jehovah idea, the oneness of everything. And the reason for that is because whenever you take the four with theosophical addition, it's called, which is where you take all the digits that lead to a particular integer and add them together. So with four, it would be one plus two plus three plus four. That actually equals 10, which reduces to one. So esoterically, a four is a one mm. in this addition system. Okay. Uh, and then every three numbers, you get the same thing. It repeats this pattern. So seven if you add all the digits that lead up to the integer seven, that also will, that equals 28, which is a 10 and that's a one and it goes on. So 10 is obviously a one and 13 does the same thing and you can go on down the line. So it's part of this uh, aspect of how consciousness is nested fractal toroidal fields that are self-similar across scale. And it's just a never-ending trinity. So when you get to the, it's like one, two, three, there's a trinity. And then when you get to the four, that's actually the one of the next trinity. And it goes on. So it's just never-ending trinities. Uh, <clears throat> so the relationship of one, four, and seven being the totality, the all, the, the God idea, are what give frequencies that have one, four, and seven comprising them the solfeggio name and the effect that they have and i believe that there's similar i hope that all made sense because we're not looking at the numbers but 
there's a there's similar relationships to the uh, three, six, and nine in the sense that you're again you're hitting trinities again. Three, six, nine. It's three trinities. Like two, a three plus three is six, and then that's like mother and father, and then the child gives the nine, and then that's everything. That's the holy trinity, which every religious and spiritual system always boils back down to it, holy whether trinity. it's Hinduism, Buddhism, or the Abrahamics. And with the uh, the two five eight system, uh, I think that that has maybe the frequencies in that have to do with balance, like uh, polarity or duality balancing. That's kind of what I hear with those tones, especially because two is like the original duality. Five is our physical form incarnate in the spirit matter system. Uh, it's also got a balancing spirit point between the two and two that create the five. Like that's the quintessence, if you will, after the four elements. And then the eight, like that, uh, that's the material physical world for sure. It's infinity turned sideways mm -hmm. or eight turned sideways is the infinity. Um, eight by eight gives you the 64, which With is the center in the middle. Yeah. So I think that the two, five, eight have to do with, the two five eight solfeggio and five two eight all that had to do with balancing imbalances within duality, and I think the three six nine has to do with generation, generative power. That's why it's the three six nine mother, father, child, and I think that the one four seven solfeggio tones have to do with invoking divinity, God, oneness, mystical mystical oneness, if you will. So that's my interpretation of Selfeggio. If anybody out there didn't really know what they, what Selfeggio was, now you now you do. It's any grouping of numbers in a frequency pattern that incorporates either one, four, and sevens together, two, fives, and eights together, three, sixes, and nines together. So like I have on my mixer right now, I don't know if you guys can hear this, but I can hit three, nine, six. Does mm -hmm. that come through? No. Nope. Okay, it doesn't come through. I'd have to like figure it out on the the Zencaster side, but it's only picking up my actual speech. But I do have like Selfeggio tones actually mapped to buttons over here that I can just hit nice. people with if I want. What, what kind of mixer you got over there? Oh yeah, talking shop. Nice. The baseball. <laughs> I got the I got the Rode Procaster. This thing is pretty awesome. Ooh, that is sexy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a roadman. <laughs> nice. I recommend it. It's the only piece of equipment you'll ever need for a mixer as a podcaster. It does but a it lot has... of great post production so... on your audio on the fly. Oh, snap. And when it has the ability to put sample sounds in as well. Yeah, I can map those buttons with whatever I want. Excellent. So when you're talking about all that Surfeggio stuff and, and the completion, uh, the first thing that I thought about was rising from the ashes like a phoenix. Uh, thank you. That's all the time we got today, people. Uh, talk, see you later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> killer. Killer. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, Can I say yeah. something about rising from the ashes really fast? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I think we're in a time right now with where the universe is going through the, the another Ragnarok if you will. Yes. I think the Ragnarok is 
uh, on a physical level, on an electricity level, actually an electrolysis process that will be undergoing. Another mud flood. Well, maybe. I think that that's possible. But I, I also think that I think that we have the option right now, and uh, maybe human civilization is special in the sense that we always have this option when we're presented with Ragnarok of we can do the great work internally and rise from the ashes as the phoenix and then thus bring new harmony, levity, and charge to the external world by doing the inner work. Or we can be reset from the outside, the great reset, the actual destructive, you know, cataclysmic Ragnarok. And I think that we actually get to choose which one of those experiences we get in the world. And the great thing about a prediction like that is whichever one happens, there's no way you can prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're going on one timeline journey. So make it the great work and then you'll be immune to any of the shenanigans from the great reset, no matter what they are, even if you have to dig yourself back out of some mud. Yeah, I think think we've been told what the Ragnarok is going to be through predictive programming and just, uh, just looking at the world and direction it's going it seems to be uh artificial intelligence is going to be the new ruling class and uh you want humans to sell your soul we're here for you peasant class so do you want to join in with the transhumanism or do you want to stay human and uh continue on life in that manner and i think that's going to be the great divide between the two and it's going to be you know sort of like Demolition Man or Terminator. Eventually we'll get the Terminator where we have to go around and kill all these machines that destroyed humanity as a whole. But then have you have... ever seen Zardoz? No. Okay. Go look up the film Zardoz. I can even send you a link to download it if you want. Please. We watched yes. it on Telegram the other night. I've seen it before, but if you want a movie that perfectly encapsulates the downfall of transhumanism, like it shows the ideal transhuman dream taken to its end and the psychological ramifications of that and how nature will end it <laughs> one way or the other. Always and, prevails. Uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. And Sean Connery wears a skimpy red diaper. The whole Sean movie. Connery! Yeah. He's super I like, manly. I like to have some Sean Connery bladders sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, but go check out Zardoz, people. (laughs) Z-A-R-D-O-Z. It's a really great critique on transhumanism from like 1973. Wow. Wow. Jesus. John Borman, the writer, director, he was definitely in the know, and he wasn't cool with it. That the guy who wrote Fahrenheit 451 or directs Fahrenheit 451 as well? I don't know what else he did. Am I tripping? Are you tripping? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes Roman's off in some other foreign lands. And I love you guys. This has been fun. You're a good duo. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. love you too. We're the we're the yin and the yang. You know, <laughs> he's a uh, he's a comedy genius, and I'm a, a baseline ancient. <laughs> uh, real, real quick, real quick question because your most recent Michelle Gibson episode was tight and beautiful, by the way, and I know we're about to. We're getting off here. It was tired. <laughs> um, but um, I start tired of talking my upcoming episode tomorrow night too. 
Oh, <laughs> you be from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Is now, I was going to ask you, uh, are you his little brother? You guys kind of look alike. I get that a lot. He's my <laughs> little brother. I'm the older brother. That's, uh, that's true. That's true. Than him. Yeah, he's but he's so tall. He's so tall. He's, <laughs> he yep. must be a million. I'm pretty tall. I'm like 6'2". Oh, are you? oh you're 6'2"? Okay, yeah. I'm pretty six tall. Two. But he's six, like eight or something. No way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He's, he's right. nepha- Nephilim to the gene. Yeah. Um, I love that, oh. dude. He's, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Good vibes. He's great. Oh my god, he's he's amazing. Uh, so what about Flat Toberfest? What's what? your what's the deal with Flat Toberfest? I've never been. It's great. Um, you should go. Yes. <laughs> same place every year. Um, I think they've been doing it in the same town every year so far. Hmm. My new name for uh, flat earthers are just flatty patties. Flatty patties. <laughs> flatty patties, yeah. Must have the golden spatula to flip your paradigm to the flatty patchy existence. Yes. <laughs> it was a great event, though. I mean, they showed they showed a nice documentary that in five different ways disproved that there's any curvature. That was cool. The, Marty Leeds was there and he gave a great Gematria talk about... Oh, yeah. Marty about, fucking uh, Leeds. Yeah, love that dude, too. And... Uh, there's just all good vibes there. What I liked about it was that it didn't matter your cosmology, uh, although there maybe there were some kind of dogmatic Christian pants people there. I will say that. But for sure. For most people, the fact that we could get there and talk about what shape the Earth is and have serious conversation about it meant that all kinds of other rabbit hole topics were definitely not off limits, and we're on the same page with cooties. Nobody wanted to cover their face. You know, like <laughs> it was kindred spirits, yeah. even if we have different cosmologies, one from the next, which I think is healthy. Absolutely. That's the most, that's the most healthy, diversified type of like existence you can have. Do most flat earthers kind of like uh, also kind of believe in a Garthic type of situation? Like they're, they're, they're probably is a, a I hollow. Sp- I can't speak for most flat, thir- flat earthers. I no. don't know. Nor should They've, you. They all have different views which i like we're all figuring it out ourselves instead of taking one source's dogma yeah i am dogma (laughs) (laughs) what's dogma backwards uh a god am god am Am god God. yeah i'm um oof so it's (laughs) oof yeah it's not sort of being god it's dogma dogmatic wow yeah it's flipped it's it's up is down right there uh, a lot of words a lot of words like that are uh the reverse of that word it means the opposite meaning um yeah that happens a lot uh, i i i run into the same thing in. with uh, tartar and stuff too is like what is the double repetitive meaning you know what does that mean when you say a word twice uh just like barbarian barbar or tartar, or kush kush. Yeah, have to kush. think about that one. <laughs> I always thought uh, of Tartaria, like Tartarus, which was the underworld, and the fact that uh-huh, all yes. these buildings were dug out from under the mud. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, there's so much. It's such a deep, it, it's such a deep like topic, and that's why I'm like kind of glad it's been surfacing uh, recently. You know, as like we're about to seemingly go into some sort of like 
uh, yet again, like fourth industrial revolution, mud flood, whatever, you know, the, the, the next Ragnarok situation, it's coming up just as it's about to happen. This, this thing that's happened before potentially many a times. And Tartaria is like, in my opinion, a blanket term for it. We're not searching for the Tartarian empire. We're not really wondering if that existed or not. We're, we're wondering about a lot more. And I think most people are, 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 you know, they may be looking like, did Tartary exist? Was this a real thing? Was this an empire? Yes. And yes, yes. And what else? What else about the suppression of history that, that we're searching for the truth, the resonance, you know, it's, it's not just, was it Tartaria that, that was there? And like, you know, what did they do? And they had this, they had ancient technology. It's so much more than that. So the blanket statements of that, that have been laid upon us, you know, um, to me that that's really what it's about because I think deep, deep, deep down, there's absolutely no doubt across any paradigm that, that there, there was, there is, and, and so much more. And, and yeah, that, that suppression shall be shifted. Boom. Well said. <laughs> Mic drop, dude. <laughs> suppression so will be shifted. Okay. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll cap it off here. Um, thank you uh, very much for joining us today, Chance. Uh, we appreciate it. I feel enlightened. Uh, I too. found a lot of that very fascinating. Uh, it's not um, stuff I know a lot about, like the whole biofield and aura stuff and everything. Uh, so to learn new stuff uh, makes me happy and gives me a... Uh, Gives me like some knowledge I want to go throw at some other people now. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go read Electric Body, Electric Health by Eileen Dave McCusick if you're curious about the topic. It's really good. And uh, I plan to keep studying it. I've got some books on my nightstand waiting for me to get through them once I'm done researching Seraphim for a while. But I've still got, <laughs> I'm still really deep in that. So. Seraphim egg. Yeah. But thanks for having me. It was really fun. And people can catch me yeah. at interversepodcast.com is where my main show Interverse is. And then that's weekly. I also have a Rockfin and a Patreon where you get the extended version of the show two hours instead of one. And I do a weekly Wednesday night live show called Vibe Rant. And that's Vibrant. super fun. Vibe Rant. Yeah, we Love get, uh, we get <laughs> call-ins and people from the audience can send us memes and we're just generally like having more fun with that one. And we still get deep though. Trust me. However, <laughs> it's more participatory for the tribe. And yeah. like once a week or so I'll do live divinations, like a live stream where I do a group divination with I Ching and tarot and maybe some other Oracle cards. And I do one-on-one -on -one healing sessions for people with the tuning forks. Also one-on-one -on -one divination guidance, like spiritual counseling where we, you know, you just sit down with me over the Zoom and I throw some cards at you and I tell you what they say. And then like, it's kind of one way, actually. I'm not even checking yeah. to see if I'm getting it right. And then at the end, they're like, thank you. <laughs> that is all applicable. So yeah, we can do all that. You just get a hold of me through my website or on Telegram or any of my other social medias. You can find me if you want to do some one-on-one -on -one stuff. Other than that, I'd love to have you check out my shows because I do a lot of them. I've been doing it for a bit. Yeah. I think it's getting better all the time. And last show I want to plug is 
Saturday nights, unless I'm really busy, I'm with the Weaving Spiders Welcome Channel for their Saturday Night Live show. And that's a, a wild four to five hour romp through the deep synchromistic <laughs> swamps. Like really deep. We, we went through the synchromistic swamp. We went hard on the Omicron <laughs> last night and I couldn't believe some of the stuff that we were able to connect it to. It was pretty amazing. So that's a really fun channel. It's kind of like a symposium style. I believe at our max last night, we had like nine people on the show at once. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Anything can happen there. So I love those guys. I want to plug them to Weaving Spiders. Welcome, interversepodcast.com. Those are the things. Yeah, I want to say that, uh, you know, I heard your episode with Michael Wan where you guys drew a card uh, from the Oracle deck. And uh, it, that whole conversation that you had with him was so inspiring that I went and bought my own self an Oracle deck uh, just because I wanted to. Uh, I, I, it felt so powerful to me that I was like, ah, oh, I'm inspired now. And uh, so I, I went and did that. And uh is this your card? I just pulled this. Oh, did you really? It's a fucking phoenix. Revolution. <laughs> the rele- the revolution will not be televised. <laughs> Might be live streamed though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you Thanks really just that. pull Michael that right now? Amazing. I love did you really just pull that? Yeah, I really did. That's a, that's incredible. It's seriously a phoenix, right? What yes. does it say? What is- it's revolution. Revolution. It's, uh, yeah, it's the lake, the joyous multiplicity supported by the fire, the clinging, passionate energy. Oh, man. That's why we do what we do, baby. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, there's a bunch of masks falling off, running yeah. away while a phoenix rises. Yeah, pretty dude. cool art. That's so amazing. I if found I a could... fork in the road the other night while on a walk. Yeah. That, was, that was fun. That was, that was my revolution right there. Uh, Did you somebody pick it up? me for a healing session, and they're like, a tuning fork in the road was the subject <laughs> line. Like, That's pretty clever. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for joining us again, Chance. We appreciate it. Uh, you're always welcome back at Rising from the Ashes. Uh, yeah, great conversation. We love to get deep with spirituality sometimes, too. We like talking about ancient history and spirituality and consciousness and those types of realms rather than some of the newer stuff going on in the world. We don't, we like to keep it light and happy and fun and try to get rid of the negative shit. And, uh, you know, Roman's so crazy. It's funny to hear that guy sometimes. So, (laughs) 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 so thank you again. And, uh, Remember, Fire Tribe, if you ain't done with that, wake, wake up. up.